We're now going to stand one more time as we as we read this this passage of scripture this morning. Uh, it's John chapter twenty. It's a, it's a, this glorious passage. We're reading here from the ESV. Would you uh, please stand as we read God's word together? Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken, stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with, out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked for the disciples were in fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, receive, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and, believe, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
Put your finger here and see my hands. Put it your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. In about a month's time, people all over the world will celebrate Resurrection Sunday, sadly often referred to as Easter. Resurrection Sunday is a celebration for people who believe. But what exactly is it that they believe? They believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The only way to live is to believe that Jesus lives. But it's not enough to say that you believe. It's not enough to to have mental assent in a set of facts about Jesus and the resurrection. Even the devil believes in the resurrection. Paul says in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The kind of belief that saves is the kind of belief that confesses Jesus as Lord. I know we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus again, Lord willing, on April 20th. But I'll probably use a different text. But you know, I've got no problem with, with teaching about the resurrection, about the same events that we're looking at today again so soon. If you understand what really happened on that first Resurrection Sunday, you'll never get tired of hearing the old, old story. In reality, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. It's the reason that we are gathered here together today on Sunday instead of Saturday. It's been that way since the early church. The first words of John 20 say, Now it was on the first day of the week. And all of the gospel writers include that detail. Three days and three nights have passed since the crucifixion. What looked like a defeat to the disciples and to the watching world was, as we saw last week, actually a victory. Last week, in studying John 19, we focused on the death of Christ. And it just makes logical sense that that John 19 would be followed by John 20. The narrative of the cross is followed by the narrative of the resurrection. As death gives way to life. We saw last week how even the death of Christ was actually a victory. As Jesus intentionally fulfilled prophecy, as he obediently fulfilled the righteousness of God, and as he lovingly sacrificed his love for us, as he, his life for us, as he sovereignly gave up his life. And this morning, we're going to hear testimony of how Jesus sovereignly took up his life again. How Jesus conquered death. 
In his crucifixion, Jesus brought victory over sin. And in his resurrection, he brought victory over death. This morning, we're going to see how John and Mary Magdalene, how the disciples, and how Thomas found life in the resurrection of Christ. They did it through faith. They believed. In verses 1 and 10, we'll see first how John saw and believed. How John saw and believed. John tells us that it was still dark when Mary Magdalene arrived at the tomb on that first Resurrection Sunday. She arrived at the tomb of her beloved Lord with spices to anoint his body. And from the Synoptic Gospels, we see that that she wasn't alone. There were other women with her. When Mary got there, she was shocked to see that the large round stone that had been placed in front of the tomb to seal it had been rolled away. We find out from the synoptics again that they entered the tomb and saw that the body of Jesus was not there. And Mary turned and ran to tell Peter and the other disciple, the one that John refers to as the one whom Jesus loved. And we know from, as we've seen previously, that John was speaking of himself. John here wasn't saying that, that Jesus loved him more than the others, but in his humility, he was saying that the most important detail about him was that Jesus loved him. It was more important even than his own name. But you can imagine the distraught Mary, out of breath from running, telling Peter and John, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. The most likely conclusion from their perspective was that grave grave robbers had had stolen the body of Jesus. Or maybe it was the Sanhedrin not wanting the disciples to be able to rally around the body of, of the Lord. Or maybe it was the Romans not satisfied with the indignities that they had inflicted on Jesus. But now they were adding insult to injury by doing something with his body. When Peter and John heard the news, they took off running. But John beat Peter to the tomb. And he stooped and peered into the tomb and saw the linen bandages that had been used to wrap Jesus lying there. And then Peter got there, and in in typical Peter rashness, he rushed into the tomb. And he too saw the linen cloths. And he also saw that the the, the, the covering, the face cloth that had been used to, to be placed over Jesus' face was lying there folded and separate from the other cloths. And now John entered the tomb and he saw the same thing. John knew that this wasn't the work of grave, ro- grave robbers. What grave robber folds a face cloth? This wasn't the work of the Sanhedrin or the Romans. John saw and believed. He saw and believed. Now at this point, neither one of them understood from the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. They didn't understand the biblical significance of this event. But John saw and believed. Believed, Seeing the empty tomb and the grave cloths lying there, was enough for him. 
Very likely, John thought of Lazarus coming out of the tomb when he had been, been resurrected by Jesus, bound in, in, in his grave cloths, and, and men had to un, unwind them so that he could be free. But as Sinclair Ferguson points out, Lazarus had not risen from the dead. Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Lazarus had not conquered death. He had been, he had been, been, death had been conquered for him. Lazarus would eventually die. But with Jesus, the resurrection didn't happen to him. Jesus did it. He was sovereign over his life. He was able to lay it down as he gave up his spirit and he was able to take it up again. Jesus told the disciples this in John chapter 10 verses 17 to 18. He said, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This authority I have received from my father. So just as Jesus was the only one in all history who had the authority and the ability to give up his own life, he was also the only one in all of history who has the authority and the ability to take it up again. John saw and believed. But Peter wasn't there yet. They both went back to where they were staying. But Luke tells us in Luke 24, 12, that Peter went home marveling or wondering as to what had happened. Now, Peter would get it. He would have an encounter with the risen Christ soon enough, and he would believe too. In his sermon to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, he declared, God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter would understand that death couldn't hold Jesus down. But at this point, only John saw and believed. They both had seen the same things. They both had the same sensory information. They both had the same evidence. But at this point, only John had faith. Now you hear people say it's a cliche, seeing is believing. But is it? Is seeing believing? It wasn't for Peter, at least not yet. But this concept of seeing and believing is is important, and it's going to come up repeatedly in this passage. Next we'll see in verses 11 to 18 how Mary Magdalene saw and believed. Now at some point she had returned to the tomb. Peter and John had gone in, but but she stood outside weeping. But now with with Peter and John gone, she looks in again, still weeping. And this woman is is totally brokenhearted. Not only had her Lord been killed, but now she assumes that they had desecrated his body. But now she sees something that neither Peter nor John saw. Two angels in white inside the tomb, one at the head of where Jesus had been laid and another at the feet. Now this is something you don't see every day. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
Now, we don't see that, that she is like shocked to see angels. She, she just says, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Not even the sudden appearance of angels was enough to give her faith. But then Mary turned around, and she saw Jesus standing right behind her. And he asks her the same question that the angels had asked, Woman, why are you weeping? But he adds, who are you seeking? Now Mary assumes that he was the gardener. Now you might expect to see a gardener at this time of the, of the day in a garden. But it seems an illogical deduction after having just seen two angels. Mary had walked with Jesus so closely. She had loved him so deeply, but she failed to recognize him. She saw Jesus, but she didn't see him. This had happened repeatedly after the resurrection. The disciples on the shores of Galilee had seen Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. Likewise, for the disciples on the road to Emmaus, seems that, that Jesus had the ability to, to somehow conceal his, his appearance so that he wouldn't be recognized. Mary said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She was, as Paul Martin explains, still operating in the realm of unbelief. Just as her physical eyes had not recognized Jesus, spiritually she did not understand what had really happened. She was thinking of every possible rationalistic explanation for what had taken place, but she failed to consider the spiritual. She failed to consider that Jesus was being true to his word, that, that, that he would rise from the grave. And now Jesus says to her, Mary. When he spoke her name, the eyes of her heart were enlightened. When Jesus spoke, she recognized the voice that had declared so many truths. Jesus calls his sheep by name. His sheep hear his voice and they follow him. So now technically Mary had heard and believed. But see there that it says that the eyes of her heart were enlightened. Now she saw spiritually. Consider her joy. Consider how her dark despair vanished. It was gone in an instant, replaced by incomparable joy when she saw that the risen Christ. Now, I've spoken to you many times about the roller coaster of emotion that Jane and I are experiencing with Liam and Nikki. Time after time, we, we've received hard news. And then on the heels of that, we're, 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 we hear good news. Now, we've also had good news that was followed closely by hard news. But when the, the good news comes, you don't really think about the hard news. 
anymore. But I'm choosing my words very carefully here. Because for us as Christians, there's really no such thing as bad news, only hard news. There is no bad news because of the capital G, good news. Because of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died and rose again. Mary turned and said to Jesus in Aramaic, Rabboni, meaning teacher. And he told her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Now this is a, a difficult passage, and, and commentators speculate quite a bit about it, but, but what it probably means is something like, you don't need to try to hold me here. You don't need to, to, to cling to me. I'm going back to the Father, but not yet. God the Father is, is my God, and he's, he's the God of all of his disciples. Now you'll go to him as well. But until you do, you've got work to do. So he says, go then and tell my brothers Tell the disciples the message. And Herman Ritterboss adds, My earthly task with you is not yet complete at this stage prior to when I will have permanent fellowship with you in heaven. What a message. Now that's good news. Not only is Jesus alive, but God is your God. The Father of Jesus is your Father. This is the best of all possible news. Think about how fast Mary must have run with that message. But Mark tells us that when she told the disciples, I have seen the Lord, they did not believe her. Mary had seen and believed. But the disciples hadn't yet seen, so they did not believe. But later on that evening, still on the first day of the week, verses 19 to 23, the disciples saw and believed. The disciples were huddled together behind locked doors out of fear that the Sanhedrin would come after them just as they had come after Jesus. But then suddenly Jesus appeared right there in their midst. Now, the text doesn't, say, text doesn't say explicitly how Jesus did this, but something miraculous was going on. Either Jesus had supernaturally transported himself into the room, or he had supernaturally passed through a locked door. He was showing here, I believe, his, his omnipresence. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. And after showing them his hands and his side, he said it to them again, Peace be with you. Now this is a, is a common greeting in Israel. It is to this day. Shalom Alechem. 
According to Strong's Concordance, shalom means completeness, wholeness. It means health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. So here Jesus spoke peace into their trembling hearts. The fact that he repeated it is is an emphasis. This is infinitely better than mere peace from, from the threat of an earthly enemy. This is peace with God. This is the peace of the benediction in number 6, 24 to 26. Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his face upon you and give you shalom. The only way to receive that peace is through the pierced hands and side of the Son of God. The marks of the death that bought our life were still evident in the risen Christ. And they're evident eternally. Those rich wounds yet visible above in Matthew Bridges' hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns, reveal, brothers and sisters, that we have been engraved on the hands of God. Isaiah 49, 16. And the disciples saw and believed. Now imagine their response. The ESV and, and the King James translated, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, but I, I really don't think that captures it. The NASB is closer to the Greek when it says they rejoiced. And the NIV when it says they were overjoyed. And now Jesus commissions them. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is what it means to be an apostle, to be sent of God. Now Jesus had already said that he was sending them into the world in his high priestly prayer in John 17. So these men were sent out bearing the office of apostles. And he then breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now we know in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. But here in an event full of of powerful symbolism, we, we have the breath of Jesus, the pneuma of Jesus in Greek, being used to give the pneuma hagion, the Holy Spirit. Breath and spirit are actually the same word. Now, when God created man in Genesis 2, we read that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now we see the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son from John 15, 26. Now we see the the Holy Spirit conferring new life as these men were born again. And now Jesus grants them authority, saying, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. But this authority is not only those of the apostles. It is authority that is given to the church. The same phrase is is used in in Matthew 16, 19, when 
when Jesus says that, that the church is founded on the truth that he is the Christ. And again in Matthew 18, 18, as the church is given the authority for discipline, the message is believe in Jesus and be forgiven. If you do not believe, you will not be forgiven. Now, brothers and sisters, we have been sent out too, not, not as these capital A apostles, but we've been sent out as ambassadors with the same Holy Spirit, with the same message of peace with God. Think about that. Think about the authority that you have as an ambassador for God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we tell people with the authority of God himself, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And there in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we have the gospel in a sentence. For our sake he made him to, who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So even as the Father sent the Son, and even as the Son sent the apostles, we too are sent out as ambassadors for Christ. But there was one disciple who was not present with them, doubting Thomas. Now, he would lose that nickname, but only after Thomas saw and believed. Verses 21 to 24. Here, John gives Thomas another nickname, Didymus, which means the twin. But when the other disciples had declared, we have seen the Lord, Thomas didn't believe. Now, remember, when, when Mary first declared the same thing, the disciples didn't believe until they had seen. And now it was Thomas. Thomas hadn't seen, so he didn't believe. And he said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, not only is this unbelief, but it is a crass and callous way to speak about the Lord's wounds. Again, Thomas didn't see, so he didn't believe. But eight days later, think about this. This wasn't a moment later. This was eight full days later. Think about the way that the disciples' conversation would have just, just revolved around the risen Christ, but excitement about the fact that Jesus was still alive, that he'd been raised from death. Eight days later, the Lord appeared to them again. Again, the doors were locked 
And again, Jesus appeared in their midst, and again he gave them the same greeting, peace be with you. Now, Jesus wasn't physically present when Jesus had said what he'd said. But in a display of omniscience, he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. The verb here is in the imperative. This wasn't a request. It was a command. Believe. Believe. And Thomas's hard heart was broken. But as Paul Martin says insightfully, locked doors and stubborn hearts are no obstacle to the king of life. So Thomas explains, exclaims, my Lord and my God. This is one of the most clear confessions of the deity of Christ in the entire Bible. And so Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Thomas wanted evidence. Now I've had people say to me when I, when I witnessed to them, If God performed a miracle, I would believe. If God performed a miracle, I would believe. Would they? Greg Bonson, the apologist, in his debate with an atheist, it's really a fascinating video. The atheist says in the middle of the debate, if this podium were to rise up, to levitate, and to float across the room, I would believe in God. But Bonson says to him, no, you wouldn't. Because your presupposition is rationalistic. He says you would find in your mind some way, some way to disbelieve that Jesus, had, that this podium had, had lifted. Because you don't believe in the supernatural. You don't believe in the miraculous. You don't believe in God. So in the same way, people will never believe. They will never believe unless God changes their hearts. Jesus said the same thing when he, when he talked about the rich man and Lazarus. When Lazarus is in heaven and the rich man is in hell and, and, he, and he says, please let me, let me go back and, and tell my brothers and sisters, but, but the Lord says they have Moses. And the prophets, and, and they would not believe even if somebody were raised from the dead. Think about it. We'd already seen this with the Sanhedrin. Lazarus had been raised from the dead, but instead of believing in Jesus, what did they do? They plotted to kill Lazarus to hide the evidence. People will not believe unless their hearts are changed. I need to ask you. Are you one of those people who is sitting here this morning saying that you will believe if you have evidence? 
But friend, you need to see the resurrection with the eyes of faith. You need to see the resurrection with spiritual eyes. And Jesus here pronounces, Blessed those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Those who have not seen the risen Christ but have yet believed are the ones who are blessed. Fellow saints, that's us. That is us. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have not seen, but you have yet believed. We have seen Jesus with the eyes of our hearts. And so John concludes this chapter in verses 31 and 32 by saying, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John believed. Mary Magdalene believed. The disciples believed. Thomas believed. Do you believe? John is saying right here that he wrote this gospel account so that you will believe. The scriptures reveal that there were many more witnesses to the risen Christ. He appeared to more than 500 people. They are witnesses. Those that rose from the grave are witnesses. The Apostle Paul is a witness. But the witness of Scripture is a more powerful witness even than that of your own eyes. Peter was a witness of the ministry of Jesus. We'll be talking a lot about Peter in John 21. Peter was a witness of all that Jesus did. He was a witness of, of what Jesus said. In 1 Peter 1, 20, 16-21, he testifies that he was a witness on the Mount of Transfiguration when the glory of Jesus was revealed before his very eyes. And he had heard the voice of God declare, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. But amazingly, he says in verse 19 that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's saying that the scriptures provide a more powerful testimony than that of his own eyes, that of his own ears. In John 5, 46, Jesus declared that Moses testified about him. And in Luke 24, Jesus taught the disciples what the scriptures testified about him. Right here in this room, you have the testimony of those who have not yet seen but have believed. What more evidence do you need? Believe in Christ. Put your faith in Him 
and you will be saved. Let's pray together.